guys, we are live. Welcome to the Baxter Riches Podcast. I'm Zach Ginn, your host. I quit him on my minimum wage bag boy job to pursue the riches of real estate investing at the age of 17 and never looked back. I'm here to educate and inform entrepreneurs, young and old, how to become complete real estate investors by talking to the best and most influential minds of real estate. Now, usually I have on real estate investors and wholesalers on, but today I brought in another influential real estate entrepreneur, Brian Casella. Brian is a former professional basketball player turned real estate superstar. He is one of the top real estate agents in Los Angeles with his team, BC Real Estate of EXP. He turned his passion for real estate success as an agent and became a top coach and mentor for realtors young and old. And he is on a mission to help everyone become a great real estate entrepreneur is also a successful YouTuber with over 150,000 subscribers and counting, and he is the host of the Supreme Being podcast. Glad to have you on today, Brian. Great. Thanks for having me, dude. I didn't know I was a superstar, bro, but thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Compared to most real estate agents and realtors, you're definitely a superstar. Um, so it's really exciting. So uh, let's start with the cliche thing. How did you get started in real estate? Well, after my basketball career, man, it was kind of like I hit a brick wall. I had to stop playing because of injuries. um, And I played the whole victim mentality for about a year, felt sorry for myself. And I was about 25, right? I'll be 34 this year. So almost 10 years ago. And finally, I was like, you know what, I need to pick myself up and get back to it. And I was looking for we can say a parallel in the sense that We all have, and this is what I tell people all the time, we all have certain things that we're better at, right? Some of us are more creative, some of us are more hands-on, some of us are super disciplined when we put something to our mind, some of us need, uh, you know, some sort of inspiration, some of us don't. And I had forged from playing, you know, 15 years basically basketball, just an extreme work ethic and building myself from the ground up and then being able to look at something like I looked at basketball and said, okay, regardless of my natural talent and how much I have or I don't have, I can look at these fundamentals, learn them, you know, understand them, master them, and I'm going to do very well. I can play at a high level. So when I started looking at possible careers and experimenting, when I looked at real estate, it just it made sense. I started going to the offices and seeing the agents and how late they were showing up, their lack of work ethic, uh, the fact that I could you know, knock on doors and make calls, even though I didn't know what to do at that time. I had no skill or previous experience in that. I said, I can learn this. I don't have to Uh, climb up a corporate ladder. I don't have to answer to anybody else. I can work extra and get ahead. I said, this is perfect. Yeah, it's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy, but this is something that I can learn. And it seems like there's no ceiling to it, meaning you can come in and you you get out what you put in. And that's why I ultimately did it, man, uh, in in a short nutshell, we can say, because it just clicked. And I think a lot of people, when they look at opportunities nowadays, especially in the era of social media, they look at what they don't have and what's missing instead of looking at what do I have, what can I do? And then using that filter to look at opportunities at that point, it becomes much easier for you to match up with something because I wasn't passionate about real estate. I just knew that it would be a gateway for me to live the life that I want. And it seemed like something I could learn a lot in and then grow and expand out of which I have now. Wow. So, Obviously, you've had a huge advantage being a very great athlete, and it's helped you in your real estate career. I found the same thing with me, but I was a lot less of an athlete. I was a high school wrestler. I, I use that into my real estate career now investment-wise, and it's helped me a lot. Um, I think an advantage that people hear about your athlete 
but I don't think a lot of people hear about how the influence of you being a first generation born in the U.S. person. I mean, your parents being immigrants from Argentina, did that have a big influence on your work ethic? Yeah, man. Uh, for several reasons. Number one, we didn't grow up with too much. And even as a child, uh, the conditioning for most people, I think, especially if they're immigrants is, you know, be happy with what you have, get a nine to five, get a stable check. Don't, you know, dream about the Lamborghinis. We're never going to have that. Right. That was kind of the conditioning. There's not really much education about money because no one really ever had money. Right. Number two. So I, I was always anti that. I thought there was more to the world than what we had. Okay. Maybe that's just something I was born with. I don't know, but I had that curiosity in me as a kid. Number two, I saw how hard and long my parents worked and my dad was a truck driver. Right? He came from uh, South America, and obviously, if you have any sort of education, you have to redo it if you move here. He didn't have time, right? My two uh, older brothers came. Also, I was on the way, basically, and they had to do something quick. So he ended up becoming a truck driver. So he was gone a lot. He did so many trips. I would only see him for little spurts in my childhood. And I saw that, that type of dedication that we're putting in, him and my mom. And my mom was you know, gone at 6, 7 in the morning, and she wouldn't get home until 6 or 7 at night. So I saw what it was to work hard and provide. So that was also kind of instilled in me too. Um, and when I looked at real estate, I just thought, hey, if I don't put in that effort, not only am I cheating myself, I'm cheating my family. I'm cheating the world because how many people would kill to have this opportunity back where my family's from where doing something entrepreneurial like this isn't really possible unless you have connections or you know, you're in the government. You know, and there's so many other elements at stake like corruption and all that stuff where we don't have to deal with it as much here in the States. So it really lights a fire under your ass, man. It really does, you know, and maybe I've had it in me as a kid. I just, I, I want to be, and maybe it was growing up with brothers too. I'm very competitive as well. And I think that's mm -hmm. something if people learn to tap into, it can help them tremendously because I walked to my office and said, Hey man, top 10 list. I'm going to be on this thing by the end of the year. Remember my name. And I did it. So, and I think other people can do it too. I just believe they, again, they look at, what they don't have instead of looking at what they do have. Wow. So getting started when you first started from basketball, you obviously were, wasn't the best salesman. I mean, how did you get the skills that you have now? I was horrible, dude. <laughs> I remember I was so nervous when I started that, you know, we'd be in a suit in the office and, you know, it was air conditioning on, but literally all my blood would like go away from my extremities because <laughs> I was so nervous and my hands were like freezing. I had like, you know, the, the sweaty palms and seeing other people call, being in the bullpen where there's other people next to you and they're listening to you make calls made me nervous. Um, but I knew that was the stage, just like when I learned to play basketball, when I would see like Michael Jordan or Kobe go through their legs, when I could not even really dribble the ball straight, I said, okay, that's coming later. I have to first learn how to dribble the ball up and down, right, with both hands. So it was one of those things where it scared me, but I knew what the potential was because I saw people doing well. Just like now you can type up YouTube cold call and you'll see people that are good, whether they're practicing or it's a live call, you see the level of skill. So it became a, a systematic process for me because I took that kind of scope that I had from basketball and said, okay, what do I need to get good at? And that answer became very apparent quickly, which was communication. So I'm going to study the shit out of communication in every way, shape and form. So I picked up a lot of books, I took a lot of courses and coaching and uh, neuro-linguistic programming, uh, hypnosis, and I did a lot of role-playing and practicing with people. I, I say this all the time. I practiced with people two hours, uh, five days a week minimum, 
meaning I either got on the phone or a video call with somebody and we would drill back and forth or at my office, two hours a day. See, most when people look at the subject or any subject, right? Let's say you wanna be a car detailer, you wanna be a salesperson, you wanna be an actor, whatever it is. I think people, instead of shooting to be number one, whether they get there or not is irrelevant, but everyone, it, it seems to me like they're satisfied just being a little bit better than everybody else. And in this day and age, when more and more people are coming to the planet, more and more people are attempting to do what we do, because anything you do, there's gonna be competition. When you strive to be the best and you start to create this gap between you and everybody else that is almost like you become uncatchable basically. So I'm going for the top of communication. So I know the higher I go up the ladder, the less competition I have, the better I am, and the more value I have in the marketplace, whether it's real estate or not. And in this subject of communication, that to me is priceless, not only for me as a skill set, as an individual, but to the market. I look at any opportunity, if I can communicate at the highest level, I can be there, right? I, I think of like public speaking, right? You're a great communicator, boom, you're gonna get opportunities. If I wanna be an actor, if I know how to communicate at the high, highest level, I got an opportunity there because most people don't know how to communicate. So I just see endless opportunities with it. And not only that, we talk real estate now. We have to meet face to face with a client. That's our one chance to connect with them. That's the one chance to really sweep them off their feet per se. And if I can do that, if I can connect with anybody, get along with anybody, make them feel comfortable, make them trust me with the skill set, I'm all for it. And anybody can do that. This opportunity is available to anybody. So I just became so excited and obsessed with it, dude, that, that that's where I'm going. And you know, my coaching and all that, that's the main focus. I want people to focus on it. There's other stuff too, but the communication aspect really transforms the individual and then the experience of your customer, which is ultimately what you want. So you would say your communication has been the biggest difference with your success in real estate. I know in my market in like Palm Beach, South Florida, the average seller, when they want to list it, they, they bring five realtors in and they all want to sweet talk them on the kitchen table and they decide who, who's the nicest person. I mean, is communication the difference between? I would think so. Yeah. You know, I, I really do. And let's say they meet with five people who have no idea about this concept and communication. They're normally going to pick not the one who's the best on paper. Otherwise the teams that sell two or 300 homes a year would dominate and nobody would get anything, but that's not the case. You know, even out here in California, a lot of the, the big guns, they don't have huge market shares, which tells you people are listing with their friends or listing with somebody they know. What does that tell you? They're listing with people they feel comfortable with, that they might have a relationship with. And the more you can communicate with different types of people, different types of personality types, and the more you can create a connection with the person, the higher odds that you have to be chosen. When I ask my clients, why did you pick me? I never get told, well, you sell the most homes. You're the most established here. You're the expert. I hear, we just felt like we could trust you. We felt really confident in you. We, you, we, you felt genuine, that big one I get. You felt authentic. Yeah, you told us stuff that you know, maybe we didn't like, but it, we knew it was the truth deep down inside, so we felt like we could connect with you more. And, and that's really it, man. And as I started getting that feedback, it further confirmed that I'm on the right path, where everyone else is just focused on, I need the best suit, I need the best car, I need the fanciest marketing. That stuff helps. But again, ultimately, when you get in front of them, if you can't deliver, then good luck. Well, I mean, you do have the best car, but <laughs> that's something for another day. But uh, um, so, yeah, I think it's really important that you said you tell them the truth sometimes. A lot of real estate agents out here, they, they will tell you whatever they want to hear. 
They will say, I can list this $100,000 house for $500,000 if you sign this two-year listing agreement with me. I, it, it's, it's blown away. I haven't seen this happen in this market in, in the past three years. I mean, this is, it's just getting worse and worse. It's crazy, bro. And you're right. That's why we have such a bad reputation. So part of my journey as well with all the education I do is to change that. I want to change that perception. So if somebody looks at me with, you know, earrings and tattoos or the fact that I cuss a lot or they don't like the way I present myself or my brand, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, at the end of the day they can say, I don't like him, but God damn it, he's good at what he does. And that's what I want. And I treat my customers as such. And they can tell you all unanimously, Brian took care of us. I put their needs first before mine. The main reason I believe what you said is true is the average realtor is starving. They're only selling three or four homes a year and that sale where they're now trying to sweet talk you into accepting an offer that maybe isn't the best or buying a home that maybe isn't the best for you is because if you, they don't close with you and get that check, they can't pay for food. They can't pay for rent. So now their personal interest infiltrates the deal, which you never want. You hire a third party negotiator like us, to prevent that because typically if a buyer and a seller get together without an agent, it's this battle of emotions. How dare they send me an offer so low? How dare you make a request for repairs? My house is perfect, right? By having that third party neutral negotiator, you alleviate that. If that third party negotiator is skilled and doesn't have their personal emotions and interests vested in that transaction, which is tough to find nowadays. And that's part of my marketing that I say with people. I say, look, whether I list your home tonight, whether we purchase a home tonight with you or in a week or in a month, if you do not purchase it, that's fine. I'm not going to go home and be stressing and you know, not being 10 months behind on my mortgage payment. I'm good. Most realtors aren't. So they're going to push you to do things that you don't want to do. And I say, have you experienced that before? And they say, well, yeah, a lot of realtors seem pushy or desperate. Exactly. That's that behavior. Because that sale means if they're going to eat that day or not. For me, it doesn't. So my emotions and my personal interest is out. I'm looking out for you, not me. And that's the difference, man. 100%. So in this crazy journey you've had, I mean, you've come from, you know, injuries all the way to getting Lamborghinis, things like that. I mean, what would you say your highest highs and your lowest lows were in the real estate industry? Great question, dude. Uh, the highest highs I would say has been the last like year or so, man, traveling and speaking. I've shared the stage with practically every participant of Million Dollar Listing LA and New York, most of them several times now. I've spoken with like Luis Ortiz and like Josh Altman and Matt Altman and internationally now two or three times. I've met them all. Um, you know, I've been able to infiltrate those circles. I'm getting invited to speak at other places. It, and that amazes me, right? Having my coaching program amazes me. What my team is doing amazes me. Having even my, just my office and being able to, this imagination and vision board I had years ago, seeing it in real life now is amazing. So I would say that as a whole is amazing. But the low of lows, man, you know, my first year in real estate, I probably broke down in tears three or four times. Um, felt like I was literally going to be out on the street at some point because I made a huge error in the beginning. I got one or two sales and I thought, I got this. I know this all, right? Like I'm good. I'm, I'm invincible. And one of the mistakes I made was I bought a nice car, right? And there was a couple months there where it was tough to make that payment, even though it wasn't that high. It was only a couple hundred bucks. That couple hundred bucks, you know, was difficult, you know, to write that check, to get that auto draw on my bank account and to see my bank account so low and seeing the high amount of dollars coming in in these checks. I'm like, what's going on here? But that was also a wake up call for me to educate myself financially because I never got that when I was a kid, right? So I had a lot of lows financially, mentally, emotionally, those first years, dude. 
Um, and that whole year was a roller coaster. So it's tough to say one moment because there were so many deals that fell through. There were so many listings I thought I'd get that I didn't get. There were so many buyers I thought would buy that didn't that, uh, I mean, we could just do a podcast on that bro for like six hours because it was ridiculous. Right. And I think the difference is, is I said, okay, uh, just like you hear, you, if you get in a fight, you live to fight another day. Right. And, and that kept ringing in my mind because I learned that from my mentors. They said, regardless if it goes good or not, you're going to get your ass kicked the first year or two, probably three. The question is, is are you going to get up and keep going and show up the next day? Because if you do, you'll eventually start building the momentum and getting the deals. But what happens is most people get knocked down a couple times and then they're like, okay, this isn't for me. That's a, they said that's a part of earning your keep in this business and any business. And I kept that thought in my mind, bro. That's really what kept me going. Because when you're in tears sitting in your car and you have 20 bucks in your bank account, you're like, God damn it, how did I get here? But you know, okay, this is temporary. This too shall pass. And that's really what kept me going, man. Wow. So what would you say your craziest real estate story is then? <laughs> I have so many to choose from, man. <laughs> I'll give you a couple, dude. A one is on multiple occasions, I've been going door to door in nice neighborhoods and I've had guns pulled on me and I've been threatened, right? I've knocked on doors before and they open the door and it's like three people are naked. One person seems like they're in the corner doing drugs. Again, in nice neighborhoods. I've drawn out in the worst neighborhoods in LA and in the best. And all this crazy stuff happens in the best neighborhoods, believe it or not, right? <laughs> um, I've had that. I've had um, clients um, flip. I've taken listings and I find out later that the client has mental issues without me knowing right? Uh, through someone else who had the same experience with them. And they'll call my brokerage and flip out and say, I'm the worst person in, in the world. And they're threatening that they want to get my license revoked and they're going to report me to the board of realtors and this and that. And I have to cancel their listing when two days ago they love me. Um, and they're trying to like bash me online for no reason other than they just, their, 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 their mind just flipped. Right. And then I find out they're on medications and you know, they have some sort of sickness, which is cool. But in the moment you're like, what's going on, man, this is crazy. Because then you start thinking that I do something wrong, even though I didn't, right? Um, I've had clients at the end who we do a great transaction. There might be some, you know, bumps in the road, but we literally go above and beyond and we make it work. And then they just go off on us. I've had people show up to my office and just, you guys are the worst, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, we got your home closed and you made $20,000 over your asking price and everything went good. What are you talking about? And then they'll just bash us. They'll give us like a one-star review on Zillow. And I'm like, we sold your home in like three days and you got like 50,000 above ask. No repairs as is super easy. Like where did it go wrong? And they'll say, Oh, they're terrible negotiators. They don't deliver. It's like, what? So um, I would say around transactions and real estate, man, that's been some of the craziest stuff. And again, I think any seasoned vet's going to give you a million of them, but I would say that's probably encompasses the majority of them. Cause they all usually fall into that category, you know? So, I'm not in the real estate agent realtor space at all. I can see it from a distance. Yeah. What are your top marketing strategies now for you as a top agent getting the deals? Marketing strategies. Okay, we still do the old school stuff and I think that's never going to stop for us. We still call, we still go door to door, we still do open houses and that's been very effective for us. The second part is now, I mean, I've built this over years, but I think it's increasingly more important, especially within the agent community, to have a brand because I've been around for so long and been so consistent, a lot of people outside of our area send us referrals, right? Same thing with somebody who finds us on social media. They see, I have a lot of followers. I've been doing this for years. You know, we're doing a lot of business. Our team has an Instagram and we have this YouTube channel and all this stuff. So not only for the public, 
does that build more trust? But agent to agent referral, I think this year we'll probably close anywhere from 30 to 40 transactions just from agent to agent referral, which is huge. But so many people are still, even in 2020, and I've been talking about it since 2014 or 15, they're still scared to go on video and do it consistently, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. Other than that, I just focus on building relationships with people and activities that I do outside of real estate. Car clubs, done a bunch of deals with the guys in my car clubs, uh, you know, whether it's exotic cars or not, right? Um, number two, I do donate and spend a lot of time with local like elementary schools and high schools because, you know, I play basketball. So I donate and sponsor a lot of these teams and I'm always there talking to the kids or I'll go to a game if I can. So I get really uh, infiltrated into those groups of parents and kids and all that. So I get some business from them. And, you know, I've done Toastmasters, right? I'm still in contact with all of them. All these activities that I'm in, right? The NLP events, all these courses that I do, all these other seminars that I attend, I make sure to root myself with all these groups in order to feed my database, build my circle of relationships, and that also feeds my pipeline. Because whenever they have a question, they're going to remember, oh, Brian. And I purposely do it outside of where realtors and, you know, the salespeople go because they don't go there. They just think, hey, I'm going to go where all the salespeople are, which is great. I do that too, but I focus on those groups outside of that. And I think that's where I can draw in a lot of business and grow my brand as well. And are you still cold calling hours a day or are you using different marketing strategies that are more effective for your time? Yeah, my, my team still does. You know, my personal time is a lot more spread now. I still do it because because it's fun to me to be able to cold call somebody and close them, right? It's pretty easy. And door knock too. Like if I'm driving and I see a for sale by owner, I'll stop even if I'm in flip-flops and knock on their door, you know? Again, I get a rush from it. It's fun to me. Uh, but I don't have to do it, no. And I think within the next probably two years, one and a half or two years, if my team doesn't want to, they won't have to because we'll have enough, you know, flow just from organic, right? Like we do some paid stuff, but a lot of the stuff that we get is organic. Like I picked up five new clients from Instagram in January alone from one tactic, which is, um, I don't know if you've seen them. I do like realtor spoof videos where I kind of make fun yeah. of you know realtors yeah. and that's huge. Now, where I tell people that's a good strategy for me because that's my personality. I'm goofy like that. What I tell people is find what your personality is like and then create content or something around it and it'll come off even more authentic and it's different than the norm. Because if I just posted, we got a new listing, here's a new buyer, it's boring to post that. And I think I'm the one who kind of broke that mold as far as marketing themselves as a salesperson or an agent because I post majority personal stuff. But I think that's infinitely more effective because people can connect with you. That's a great source um, of leads for me and new clients for sure. I, I think that's the biggest difference between someone being very popular social media wise, like those million dollar LA guys, they all got personalities. They're not, uh, my name, I'm Josh Altman and I'm just by, I list homes and I just help you and that's basically it. I mean, they got personalities, backstories, that's why people really like it. I think that's why you have a lot of success, success too. Um, so when do you think realtors and real estate agents should really stop? I know you're big on the grind, grind, hustle, hustle. When should someone stop cold calling eight hours a day and use things that are more effective for their time? Well, I think, uh, you know, if you do it consistently after a couple of years, you won't have to. Because as an example, if you're, you know, going door to door and cold calling and you're building your database and you're building relationships with those people, eventually that'll feed you more than enough transactions to make you money. And you may still have to, you know, meet up with them from time to time and call them from time to time, but you're not going to be slaving away. Um, you know, on the phones and on the doors for eight or 10 hours a day. Um, it, it, it takes some time though. And additionally, we have to start leveraging in our business, which a lot of people are scared to do. 
you know, like we just talked, right? There was a conflict and I ended up showing up a little bit late because I didn't get a notification from my assistant in the calendar. That happens, right? Mistakes get made. But a lot of people, when they start, I'm always checking too. At the three, two and a half, three year mark, I said, okay, what do I want to do? Do I want to go all in and work 20 hours a day as a realtor? Or do I want to start doing other stuff, traveling and speaking, you know, trying other businesses, doing the coaching program like I'm doing now? Um, and I made that decision and I said, okay, I'm going to go this way and, and do a little bit more than just being in real estate. Then the plan was created to leverage, delegate, and do what I'm doing. In addition, when everybody was sleeping on video back then, I knew that it would be here where it is now, right? Which is a great funnel for me. And I still think it's going to be the best marketing tool and funnel for leads for people, especially for those of uh, those people who follow me or you outside of these huge metropolises. I have a ton of people who follow me from like Idaho, you know, Montana and all these other States. I'm like, dude, you could be the man over there if you just start doing this consistently and get a ton of leads. But again, they don't want to do it. But to me, I think that's the most important because you don't need Hollywood anymore, bro. You can create your YouTube, your Instagram. And if you start getting followers, you become a, in quotes, celebrity from a grassroots movement that you built yourself, which is why I love what I've done. I tell people I'm the prime example of not caring what people think and doing what you want. Like recently, in the last three years, I've talked to probably seven or eight TV networks to do a show and I didn't like what they offered. They didn't like my idea. So I said, I'm going to do my own. And now I'm starting my own reality show because I didn't like their ideas. They didn't like mine. So I said, fuck it. I'm going to do it myself. So you really got to be a go-getter, but eventually, dude, after two or three years, you don't have to slave away on the phone anymore. If you do things correctly, even if you follow the traditional real estate model correctly, you won't have to do it. But I, I just think people are straight up, man, lazy. They don't want to work. Sure. So what would you say your, what does your team look like now for personally for you as a realtor? Yeah, we have an assistant, full-time assistant right now. We have myself and I have three other agents, my girlfriend, Loida, Valerie, and Kevin left me temporarily, but he's back now. So I have three junior agents under me. I'm the main top team leader, we can say. And then we have the assistant. And for those of you who don't know, we also have a transaction coordinator. It's called the TC. So basically, whenever we get a deal under contract, from under contract until closing, they handle all that stuff in the middle, all the administrative stuff, talking to escrow, coordinating stuff, inspections, they handle it. So the assistant also works my real estate business and she handles my stuff too, my personal stuff. And you're obviously with eXp now. I mean, is there a reason why you don't break off and just start your own brokerage and be a leader for hundreds of agents? Yeah, um, I really don't see a need to. The way eXp is set up, it's kind of allowed me to do that in a sense without having to you know, start my own brokerage. I just, I don't want to deal with it, man. I'm cool having a team. And with the structure that eXp has, it kind of alleviated that for me. Um, it makes sense financially for me. It makes sense financially for them. And it's just a good fit for where I'm at and what I want to do with real estate. You know, if I had a desire to open up my own office and train agents and build this huge thing, I would, but uh, that's just not in my uh, vision, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you've obviously, you've made a lot of money in real estate as an agent. You're obviously, you're getting the coaching. A lot of money's coming in. Obviously, you've bought some great toys and things like that, uh, but and a very nice property. But what are you doing with some of your other money, and how are you trying to build long-term wealth for yourself? Yeah, so uh, just so everybody's clear, right? The, the home that I'm in right now, I lease. But what I did was I bought four properties in Texas originally, years ago. I started uh, learning from Mike Wolf, right? Shout out to him. I learned a lot from him. He's an investor who's originally from Canada. Um, I toured with him back in 2015. 
and he taught me all his investing strategies like in Atlanta, Kansas City, um, here in LA, uh, Houston, Texas. So after I got my GTR, I started just pooling a bunch of money together and within the first two years of learning his strategy in Texas, I bought four properties, right? So I bought four properties and my strategy from the beginning has always been buy and hold, fix them up a little bit. In reality, I got them for probably, I don't know, uh, 10 cents on the dollar when I bought them because tax deed auctions is where I got them, right? And back then, it wasn't too much competition either. The first time I showed up, I had no intention on buying a property, um, but I showed up and the first person who bid on a property, they got it for like $2,000. I was like, dude, what am I doing? I need to buy a property. So I told him, dude, give me the list. I know you guys checked out some. What are the ones you recommend? And I just went off his guidance and I ended up buying a property for, I think it was uh, $7,200, right? Now in Texas, uh, there's a six month redemption period. So the, the person ended up redeeming that property like five months in, but the cool part is it sent me back my money plus 25%, so it's still an investment. So over the years, I bought probably 10, no, nine, and I kept four, and I rent them out. So I'm clearing about, after all property management fees and everything and expenses, I'm clearing about uh, just under 4K from those properties. And then I also bought a duplex here in LA with a buddy of mine in 2016, 2016. We're almost paid off. We bought that one off market. Me and him split the rents and we're both pulling in clean net about, I think, 1700 uh, a month. So with those two, I mean, with everything combined, I'm pulling in about 5700 in cash flow clean uh, a month with those properties. And I'm paying, what am I paying? I'm paying four grand here. So what made you decide to start being a landlord in California? I know a lot of real estate investors in LA that are just leaving it because of the rent controls. Mm -hmm. And is that a reason why you're in Texas too? Yeah, you know, it, it really is a pain uh, with, with a lot of the tenants. Now, luckily we got the duplex here in LA at such a good price. I mean, we probably got it like half, a 50% of market value, so we just couldn't pass up on it, right? Uh, but the ones in Texas, yeah, I'm also looking at Kansas City, Missouri, that's a good one. I have some connections there. I mean, for everyone listening, you can get duplexes there for like, you know, 80 grand. I'm just sitting there like, wow, dude, like a duplex out here is like 500 grand in a shit neighborhood and over there in a nice neighborhood, you can get one for 80 grand. It's ridiculous. Somebody just told me about, I think, uh, where was it? I think in Tennessee, like an 18 unit building for like 170 grand. I'm like, what? Like, it's ridiculous. So you get way more for your money out there. And, and that's why I just think that the issue or disconnect there, man, and you already know this is people don't trust or they can't find good property management. And that's the problem. So through Mike, who I met, and you know, super cool dude, he has connections everywhere. So I paid to go on that tour. I paid him seven grand to go on that tour in Texas. And we went to Atlanta and also Kansas City. But what I gained from it, not only in knowledge, but the connections was more than worth it. I remember he sent it to me. We got, we got a spot left. He sent me the PayPal. I think I paid him within like a minute because I knew it makes me a little bit uncomfortable to send you the seven grand, but you know your stuff because he owns, I think, 300 doors. You know, so his cash flow every month is ridiculous, but just those strategies, man, and that knowledge really helped me. And then it really kicked it into gear because a lot of people will speculate. I'm sure you know this too, and they'll never pull the trigger on buying a property. I said, dude, this is the first step. I got to do this. And that's what got me into it. Haven't bought a property in about a year, year and a half, but I'm going to start buying properties here, uh, probably towards the middle or end of 2020 again. And I want to get up to about nine or 10 within the next couple of years. Okay, cool. Yeah. So this brings me back to the coaching. I mean, how, when did you start your coaching? Um, 
So originally, dude, uh, it started with uh, products, right? A lot of people, after I'd been on YouTube for about two years, maybe a little bit more, they're like, you know, in the comment section, dude, like, do you sell a product? Do you do a course? Do you do events? And I didn't, and I had no plans on doing it. But after getting 50 or 100 messages like that on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram, I said, well, maybe there's something here. So I created my door knocking mastery 101 product. That's originally how I got my claim to fame on YouTube was everyone knew me from door knocking, right? And it got crazy, man. People caught wind of it. It got featured on Inman News back then. And I think the first month I sold like over 100 copies. And all I did, because I had no idea how to make a product, was I had a buddy of mine who was my photographer edit it. And we just uploaded it to Google Drive. And any, anytime somebody bought it, I just made it so they couldn't download it. And I would send them permission to view it. And it's still there to this day. So that's how I started doing products, man. And then the coaching evolved from there because people wanted a little bit more. And I kept getting messages. So originally I created a program called Close the Deal, which was 100% focused on sales. And then from there it evolved into what I'm doing now for the last two years, which is Modern Success, which is more all-encompassing, right? Financial management, you know, how to manage your money, um, you know, how to create a plan, how to execute real estate stuff, sales stuff, public speaking, marketing, how to be better on video, and pretty much my journey, right? I also teach NLP and hypnosis in there, and we're getting more into that now. Um, so that allows me to kind of teach everything I've learned instead of just doing door knocking or one product per se. And right now I think we have, you know, I don't put any marketing behind it. It's pretty much been organic. I think we have 270 something active members right now that are on subscription. Wow. That, that's great. So I mean that I really love that too. I mean, with our coaching, we've actually found this too. Speaking on what you said a while ago, probably five minutes ago, a lot of people that are on the fence with the coaching, I've seen it from half the time. It's not even about buying it. Yeah. It's about when you buy it, you're actually committed. It's not even about learning anything from it. It's about just being committed. I mean, yep. is that a big difference with you when you went with uh, Mr. Wolf? Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent, dude. And I learned that early on all the books I was reading and all the people that I looked up to at my brokerage that I found online that I saw at events. I was like, man, these guys just go. Even if they're not entirely sure about something, they just go. And if they make a mistake, they learn from it and they move on. Um, you know, uh, people that are effective, people that are competitors, people that are successful, they make decisions quickly. I learned that early on, man. And, and that's why. So my thing was, if I'm presented with a decision and I'm a little bit uncertain about it, I'm just going to go. Whatever my decision is, I'm just going to make it. And I've been able to come across so many more opportunities because of that. And more often than not, you make the right decision. I just tell people, you're not making enough decisions to realize that. If you find yourself making more decisions, you'll very quickly realize, hey, when I trust my gut or I just go, I'm making the right decision most of the time. And I know that for a fact now. But everyone else wants to just sit on the couch and you know, watch you do your thing, watch me do my thing, and they're content with that. But I tell them, hey, man, you, you got you to gotta get yourself out of your comfort zone. It's not easy. It's not fun. But ultimately, you have to be the one who decides. Me and you can lead them to the water. We can't make them drink. Me and you can lead them to the door and open it, but they have to walk through. And I've been telling people, ultimately, the responsibility, uh, responsibility falls on you, and you got to do it. So what gets you out of bed every morning, pumped up, ready to go? You know, with me now, dude, it's, I've had so much fun doing what I'm doing, and I've broken so many rules. I've done so many things I was told I would never do. Um, I've broken so many of my own limits of what I thought was possible. <clears throat> you know, for me to talk to my family and ask them, did you ever think I'd be anywhere near where I'm at now? And for them to be like, hell no. <laughs> I'm like, that's cool. Most people would be upset and say, well, that's sad. And it is, but I look at it like, wow, dude, like I've really transcended, 
tremendously what people even thought was possible. Or I get messages, dude, you're doing this, like you're doing a show yourself. How the hell are you doing that? I like getting messages like that because again, I'm just showing people I'm creative and I have enough balls to try it out. That's it. So what gets me up now, dude, more than anything, back then it was the hunger, the desire to make money and be successful and be my own boss. And I feel like I've kind of achieved that. So that's morphed into, dude, what, what else can we do? What's the next investment? What's the next crazy thing I can do that people would say, what the hell is Brian doing? That gets me up, man. Just possibilities, bro. As you know, esoteric or whatever as that sounds, that to me is really what drives me because I'm having so much more fun now, dude, just you know, pushing limits and trying new things. And the way I've set everything up, how I live day to day, I love it. People are like, oh, when do you take vacations? Why the fuck would I take a vacation if I love what I'm doing? You know what I mean? If I want to go visit somewhere, by all means, I will, but I don't need to escape what I'm doing to go relax. I'm doing what I do relax because I'm having fun. You know what I mean? So I've set it up that way. So it's just possibilities, bro. And to me, that, that's the most beautiful thing because that's, that goes wherever your mind takes you. And it, for everybody, it's going to be different, right? Maybe somebody wants to go climb Mount Everest, right? Maybe somebody wants to go bungee jump off the Golden Gate Bridge behind you. I don't know, right? But for me, it's just breaking boundaries, especially in business, because that still is somewhat of an uncharted territory to me because most of my experience has been through real estate and real estate investing. So taking back, just going back on that one, I mean, you keep talking about how you're here to push your limits, push your limits, push your limits. I mean, where do you see yourself in one, five and 10 years? In a year, um, that's probably when I'm going to start transitioning more into pulling out of being like an employee and on the sales side of my real estate team, which will give me more opportunities to do other things, you know, two to five years, probably owning other businesses. I've always wanted to open up uh, bars. That's always been a goal of mine. And one of my clients actually that we're helping uh, get a luxury home, um, he's in that business. So we're going to talk and we're probably going to do a joint venture together at some point down the road. Um, and then that five to 10 year mark, I see myself just doing more events and focusing more on the coaching and doing that because the impact it's having on people is incredible, man. Like it's crazy. The messages I get, I mean, you know, because you're putting yourself out there, you get a lot of hate, but at the same time, there's so much uh, impact and positivity that I'm getting from people and good feedback that, you know, as an example, I've probably gotten two dozen messages now from people that they say my videos or this one speech or even free event that I did stop them from committing suicide. And I'm like, Whoa, that, that's, that's nuts, man. So to have that kind of impact and get the feedback, to me, it's almost like it, it's altered slightly my purpose to go more after that because you see the impact that it's having. So I feel like, you know, now that I've gotten more success and more power, we can say, I feel like there's a bigger responsibility to give back. So I, I really see myself, you know, five to 10 years doing that a lot more, traveling more, speaking more and, and living based more on that. And it, it, it would be uh, insignificant how much money I make at that point, right? Because I'm already at the point where I've bought everything I want to buy, like whether I make 10 million, 100 million, that's not really my focus. So even if I make less money helping people, I'm cool with that because that really has turned into the, the vision and a lot more of my purpose, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes total sense. So I like to wrap this podcast off with uh, the last question I ask every single guest. I obviously, I started out in 17 with no money. So I ask every single guest, if you were 17 years old, again, living in Los Angeles, you had about 200 bucks in your name, what would you do to become the next Brian Casella? <laughs> Man, I'd get my real estate license ASAP and do it all over, dude. You know, um, I love that question because I've been asked it a lot and it, 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 I would do the same thing that I'm doing, dude. Uh, obviously now 
if I went back to then and I'm assuming I had the knowledge that I had now, it'd probably be easier. But if I didn't, I would just go, go about it doing it the same way. You know, I've, you know, doing that struggle of making calls and learning sales and doing something completely new is what built me to be where I'm at today and be the person that I am today. That's what allows me to teach. That's what allows me to do the podcast and, you know, give back to people because I've been through hell and back. We can say all the trials and tribulations and everything where a lot of people aren't willing to do that or they're faced with that and they want to talk to somebody who's been through it to say, hey, man, how was it? Can you tell me about it? Because I'm about to jump in head first. Can you tell me how it was? And we need more people like that, I think. So I would just do it the same, man. I would get out there and do the grunt work. I would be black from here up from door knocking like I was uh, back then. Um, and then my, my fingers would hurt from cold calling because I think that that's that's the toughest way. Besides, as an example, men also at night, making them go approach girls at clubs and bars. I think that and cold calling and going door to door is some of the most character building, especially for men. And because it, it makes it forces you to confront your insecurities, man. And that to me is one of the most important things in this life because we see so many people suffering from that. And to be able to break free from that, I think in itself is the most beautiful gift. Wow. So this might be controversial here, but would you say if you were back at 17, you probably would not go to college and you would have gone all in on the realtor side? If I wasn't playing basketball, yes. The only reason I went to college, bro, is because I got a scholarship to play basketball. I even told my parents, if it wasn't for the scholarship, fuck college. I don't want to go, you know? Um, so I, I still think because of the way we're conditioned, people think automatically to go to college. And maybe for some people, it's good. Maybe they want to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, and that's their focus. Cool. Go to school. But if you're just going to go, I think it's a huge mistake. So to answer your question, no, I would not go. Great. So uh, wrap it up. Do you have any parting thoughts? How do people get a hold of you? And if someone wants to, you know, have you as their mentor, how would they go find you? Yeah, uh, Brian Casella, at Brian Casella is all my handles on social media. If you just type me in on Google, you'll find me, BrianCasella.com. I've made it very simple. But uh, thank you, man. Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Um, you know, you, you did the right thing. You, you just asked me, hey, you want to do uh, an interview, a podcast? I said, yeah, regardless of the numbers, I think people get caught up with that. Whether you told me you had one subscriber or a million, I would have done it because this is creating value for the audience and people, which is what it's about. And you know, you're doing it the right way, man. So I commend you for that. All right. I appreciate it. I'll see you guys in a couple of weeks when we have our next guest. All right, Rick. Thanks, man.